Managing your law practice can be challenging. Marketing, time management, attracting clients, and all the things besides the cases that you need to do that aren't billable. Welcome to this edition of the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. This is where you'll get the information you need from expert guests and host attorney Rodney Dowell here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast, helping attorneys improve their practice. We're glad you could listen today on Legal Talk Network. I'm Rodney Dow, Executive Director of Massachusetts Lawyers Concerned for Lawyers and Director of LCL's Massachusetts Law Office Management Program. Improving the lives of attorneys by offering free and confidential help for Massachusetts attorneys on issues ranging from depression and addiction to how to improve their business practices. For more information, come and visit us at www.lclma.org and for the law practice management, www.masslomap.org. I'd like to take this time to thank our sponsors, App River, email and web security experts. You can find out more about App River at appriver.com. That's A-P-P-R-I-V-E-R.com. And PC Law by LexisNexis. You can find more information at PCLaw.com backslash radio. Today on the Unbillable Hour, we will be speaking with Karen McKay. Karen is president of the consultancy Phoenix Legal Inc., focusing her work on leadership and strategy execution for law firms, and she coaches the professional talent within law firms to improve leadership, governance, and management. Karen, really appreciate you joining us today. Well, thank you, Rodney. I appreciate being here. I have to say, you know, when I uh, I saw an article, and, and hopefully we'll have a link to that when we uh, publish this uh, in the ABA's uh, Law Practice Management magazine, and I was just struck about what a, a great topic uh, we we're going to be able to talk with you about once I uh, was able to reach out and you agreed to do this. You know, having difficult conversations is, is the bread and butter for attorneys uh, when they're negotiating on behalf of other people, but in many cases, when they are having that conversation uh, within their firm or with associates or, uh, you know, employees, they really struggle with those conversations. Uh, And it's something that obviously these attorneys really need to learn how to have these difficult conversations. And I'd really like to, uh, hopefully we can discuss that today and and kind of talk about how we can... um, you know, uh, engage in 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 the in those conversations with more success. So, to set the stage, uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, how you know the ability to have these difficult conversations really helps define the leader and the leadership of a firm? Oh, for sure. Um, well, first of all, thank you for reading that column. I write it for every issue of Law Practice Magazine, and it's called Taking the Lead, and it touches on all kinds of things that leaders need to to do, and that, and that one that you caught on difficult conversations has struck a chord. I have heard from a number of people on it, and, and it really does set the, you know, to set the stage, there are difficult conversations all the time, whether it's a leader introducing a new idea and confronting some resistance, a leader that needs to call a partner on iffy or even rogue behavior, 
Um, or my perennial favorite, trying to get your partners to manage their practice, to do their time, to manage their practice effectively, to build their clients and to collect. All of those, just getting people to do something, uh, to change from talking about things to actually taking action can be a difficult conversation. And partners are facing, leaders face that stuff all the time. And does it really impact or it, does it matter who we're talking uh, to? You know, I mean, you, you mentioned a lot of different options there, you know, the peer to peer, the peer partner, uh, the employees, or sometimes I, I, you know, in law firms, and I've had to have these conversations myself, the, the conversation with the clients, you know, what we call the, you know, coming to Jesus kind of uh, conversation. <laughs> um, do, does that impact how you like you, you approach these conversations? Oh, for sure. You know, let me give you some examples, Rodney. Um, you know, they come at these conversations, all kinds of different ones. Here's here's a couple of examples. That partner-to-partner conversation in a business meeting, uh, in a meeting of the partners where they're trying to make a decision, whether it's to hire a first-year associate or whether to change their compensation plan. These are difficult conversations because they, they each have a an opinion, a lens that they're looking through. A leader to partner. First, you know, the leader is that first among equals, as as was coined a few years ago, and and where a leader needs to get buy-in and get partners to take action through influence more than through authority. Uh, Another couple of examples. Associate to partner, where an associate is on their way up, they're they're moving up towards partnership and they need to negotiate fee credit from the very partner that's feeding them the work so that they can build their case to become a partner. And and another example might be an associate to a group leader where the group leader might be working in another decade but regularly schedules the meetings for the group that just don't work for the young associates in the group who need to drop their kids off at daycare. So it can be partner to partner, leader to partner, up, down, sideways, and yeah. and how one handles those and prepares for those and the outcomes can be very, very different. Well, and so in your opinion, uh, how I mean, how like does it differ between uh, having a difficult conversation with someone who's my peer as to and having that difficult conversation uh, with a young or a younger associate who is in a, you know, different power uh, placement from, from me. Oh, for sure. For sure. How those conversations differ, I think, is quite simple. They differ in preparation, they differ in power, and they differ in politics. And they also differ in what's at risk. So if we think about preparation, some of those conversations you can prepare for. If you are a leader and you're going to one of your partners to get them to do something and how you can prepare for that conversation. You can think about what your desired outcome is. You can think about some of the assumptions that you might have going in. Um, you can think about the dynamics and how to uh, make this your outcome work through a number of different lenses. Other conversations happen in the moment, so you can't really prepare. Uh, that dynamic in a partner's retreat where the topic is compensation happens in the moment. And so preparation is is uh, very difficult. And then the politics, the dynamic between the parties in the conversation, 
uh, also impact and differ from situation to situation. Yeah. Well, and let me just, uh, you brought some interesting th- issues up there, I think. And, uh, you know, if you can answer this one, I think, you know, this was like, for me, always the most difficult one. It's like the one you were, t- the conversation you were talking about that is in the moment that you didn't have time to prepare for. When someone steps into your office and wants to have that conversation, you know, now. Uh, even though you haven't thought, had a chance to think about it or think about uh, all those things that you might have done to prepare for it. How, how's the best way to handle that situation for, for a leader? Well, uh, here's an example. I, I suggest that a leader have a framework before the conversation even happens. Uh-huh. And the framework that I bring to meetings that I facilitate is is a framework that looks at any situation through three lenses. Uh, the I lens, the we lens, and the it lens. So if that is kind of always in a leader's back pocket, they can buy themselves some time by taking that situation that happens in the moment and stepping back and saying, okay, let's look at this what you've just presented to me through these different lenses. Uh, let's look at that from the lens of the firm. What is the right thing for the firm or what do you see as the right thing for the firm? And how might this decision impact your group and, and almost uh, what's in it for you? What's really bugging you here? What, what's giving you cause for concern? And that it's kind of like politics where you repeat back the question and while a smart person is repeating back the question, they're buying some themselves some time to think about it. Uh-huh. So that, that would be a quick recommendation, which I think is something just to have a few frameworks that a leader can draw on and buy themselves some time to think. Right. And, and just for those kind of conversations where you're, um, you know, you do have time to prepare. You have this, you know, partnership retreat coming up, or you have that partner who is kind of becoming a HR uh, challenge because they don't deal with associates very well or secretaries or whatever the situation may be. When you're preparing that, do you need to establish your purpose for those meetings before you go in? I mean, how do you, and how do, as a, you know, how do you, help people facilitate understanding what their true purpose is. It's really leading in a law firm is and and working as a leader is a little bit like working in practice. There are certainly some differences in what make you successful as a, a an attorney on a file on a matter might uh-huh. not necessarily be the skills that they need to be successful in a game as a leader. But at the end of the day, it's, it is about preparation and end game. So, and I'll use the, the parallel to practice. In a corporate practice, for example, the preparation is about what's in it and important to each of the parties so that the end game to do a deal. In litigation, uh, advocacy, the end game to perhaps win for your client. Right. Um, so, in these conversations where things are at stake for your firm, 
indeed, it is about preparation and end game. So what is your purpose of the conversation? If you have one that you can prepare for, is your purpose in to change your partner's behavior? Is it to get them to buy in and support something through their actions? Or is it to get them to perhaps make their own decision that this isn't the firm for them? There's all kinds of purposes for a conversation, but a leader who thinks that through ahead of time uh, in part of their preparation will, I submit, be a little more successful than somebody who just walks in and kind of flies at the conversation. Right. So what's right. your purpose going in? What's your end game? In a perfect world, and and, and the in uh, that game that's then is that your like what's what's your ideal outcome for for the meeting? Indeed, is that the same thing? A um, little bit different. Okay. So, is your purpose to change behavior? The ideal outcome would be that it does, or the ideal outcome on a when you're confronting is that somebody perhaps makes a decision on their own. Uh-huh. These are, we're talking, you know, pretty serious conversations and, right, and worst right. case situations, yeah. but that's where the rubber hits the road if you're a leader. Yeah, so that the it sounds like uh, very, very different. And now I, I think you had mentioned that as part of your preparation, one of the things is that you have to help people address when they're thinking about having these hard conversations is the assumptions that they're making going into. and. How like is there a plan of action for me to like sit back here and figure out what what are the assumptions I'm really working off of? I mean, if I think about this for a few minutes, should I, you know, am I gonna be realizing that I have a different set of assumptions than I think I do? Or well, assumptions are important. If you if you look at a in your mind's eye a, a photograph of a of an iceberg. The assumptions are all those things that are below the waterline. They're uh-huh. your values, and maybe you don't articulate those as clearly or as openly as as you might. Um, they are uh, history. Assumptions can be about the history, the the experience that you've had or the partner that you're talking with has had perhaps in a previous firm. When you're talking about partner compensation, for example, you might have assumptions about your colleague's financial situation, and therefore they take a stance on comp because of their own personal dynamic. There's all kinds of assumptions that you can think about that are your own, but also what I talked a little bit about in the article is the assumptions you might be making about the other person. And those assumptions provide you with new information to inform the conversation. And those are things that are bubbling under the waterline. Is there an effective way, once I enter into, you know, this difficult conversation of trying to, I mean, hopefully I've already dealt with or, you know, developed a sense of my true assumptions. Is there an effective way of, of you know, determining what assumptions the person I'm talking with has, has you know, what what assumptions they're working with that, that may be impacting this conversation? For sure. For sure. You can certainly ask them, open that door. 
you could share a few of your own assumptions and then be curious about the other person's situation. And, uh-huh. uh, and again, bring back that lens, you know, um, to your colleague. I'm making assumptions here on these three levels. Uh, I've got a couple of assumptions about where I think you might be coming at this situation. And perhaps you can shed a little more light on that. Yeah. And here's my assumption. Here's the impact, at least my assumption about an impact. If I, if you continue to behave in this way or we make this decision, here's how I believe it might impact the dynamic in the group. And what do you think? And if we make decision X or decision Y, here's, you know, short term it might work, but long term for the firm, do you think it's the right decision and, and encourage a dialogue? It's creating that environment of trust and respect so that when you ask those questions, you're opening up that opportunity for your colleague to, to voice their opinion. And I assume that when you're, you know, it's so it's, it's easy to probably get a lot of us to, you know, ask the question. But then sometimes I think it's hard for some of us to actually hear the answers or, or give them enough credence. Uh, how, how do you like suggest, uh, because of probably our own biases or whatever, how do you, how do you one step back and say, take a deep breath? You know, like it makes me think of dealing with my 15 year old son. It's like, okay, I need to step back here and, you know, and be able to listen to him longer than I normally do. Right. Oh, for sure. Knowing what your hot buttons are uh-huh. and knowing, absolutely knowing what your hot buttons are and, being able to frame them like that. Uh, when I was a leader in a law firm, uh, a good-sized group of uh, you know, 450 people, I had a couple of hot buttons, and people knew what they were because I was quite open about them. And and so I could say, you know, boy, that's feeling like it's pushing a hot button for me. Uh huh. And I just put it out there without making a judgment, but it was sort of what it was doing to me, not that they were right or wrong, but it feels like it's pushing my hot button. And uh, and it becomes a dialogue. The challenge is to take it from a fight <laughs> to a dialogue and to, at the, the base of it all, and, and we can talk a little bit further in a bit, but, you know, without trust, um, you can't have a good debate. And so the idea of preparation and looking at assumptions and knowing what your own fears and needs are and what your own hot buttons are is to be able to create an environment where there's a bit of trust so that you can build the trust. And with that, you can move on. It's it's time for a quick break and a word from our sponsor, App River and PC Law by LexisNexis. We'll be right back to speak more with Karen. Protect your firm's email with AppRiver. Send confidential emails with confidence using AppRiver's CypherPost Pro email encryption service. With CypherPost Pro, you'll control who sees your messages, and a patented delivery slip will show you when they're received and opened. There's no hardware or software to manage. You can cancel any time, and you get a 30-day free trial. All backed by AppRiver's phenomenal care. Visit AppRiver.com, that's A-P-P-River.com, or call 866-223-4645. 
Tired of all the headaches of running your law firm? Want to spend your time doing what really matters? Then you need PC Law. PC Law from LexisNexis is the legal industry's best-selling matter, billing, and accounting software. It has never been easier to manage your law firm and serve your clients. Get back to doing what matters to you. For a free trial, go to PCLaw.com slash radio. That's PCLaw.com slash radio. Or call us at 800-685-2161 today. Promote yourself online with Legal Talk Network by becoming a featured lawyer. Your featured lawyer profile lets potential clients and referral attorneys get to know you in a five-minute podcast interview with Legal Talk Network, plus your photo, your bio, and your firm's contact info. Be part of the most progressive online legal network anywhere. Just call Legal Talk Network at 781-551-9960. That's 781-551-9960. Or by emailing admin at legaltalknetwork.com. Be a Legal Talk Network featured lawyer now. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. So welcome back to the Unbillable Hour on Legal Talk Network. I'm Rodney Dow, joined by Karen Mackay. Karen is president of the consultancy Phoenix Legal Inc. out of Toronto, Ontario. Karen, uh, as I said before, just really great to have you on to have this conversation. I think this is a very interesting uh, conversation and, and one that leaders struggle with all the time as to how, how to have these uh, difficult conversations. And when we took the break, we were talking about trying to develop this um, uh, trust relationship uh, so you could, which I th- is, is really probably key to being able to have these conversations. And, and I assume that that's kind of a, something that takes time to, to build the, the level of trust that you need. Is that true or... Or are there ways that we can kind of shortcut that, and and is it something that we always need? No, I don't think Rodney, you raise a good good issue. Uh, I don't think you can shortcut building trust. And when you know we're talking about law firms and the dynamic, the glue that keeps a law firm together is uh, these are folks that that come in every morning leave every night, and the only thing that glues them to your firm is your partnership agreement and the respect and trust they have for each other. And if we just stay at the partner level, law firms are a gathering of people, and we only need to watch the legal press to know how fragile those entities are. And so if... Trust is at the root of it all, and and uh, then the leader's job and a big chunk of what the leader, uh, the influence the leader can have is to create an environment of trust, to foster trust, to build trust. And indeed, as a as a consultant, I often go into a firm. I mean, why hire a consultant? It's because you have a problem, and a problem you can't fix on your own. And when I go into firms, I often go into firms that have, that will say to me, the trust in the group has eroded and we need to build it back. And so my job is to help them through a difficult conversation, typically as a group, in ways that can help to rebuild the trust and move them forward. 
So often it is that framework, that I, we, it framework that really resonates with partnership with lawyers. Um, everybody has their own perspective, their own values, their own experiences in other firms. Uh, firm partners that might take a stand on an issue because they've been burned in a previous firm and, and they just don't want to see that happen again. And it may not even be an issue for some of the others in the room, but it's a hot button for them because of their experience. So that framework of, of the I, what's in it and what their needs are, their values, their perspectives, their needs. And then that the we framework, our needs as a group, the dynamic as a group, how can we foster trust? How can we reach our potential as a group? And then that it framework, uh, it's about the firm, it's about the entity, it's beyond each of us that are here today, it's about stewardship. And so if as a leader you can approach these conversations with those lenses, I think it appeals. It, beca- it goes from a framework for a conversation and I've seen it go from a framework to a theme where in a firm, that theme, and certainly some of the firms that I work with, they'll come back to that framework when they're in a tough patch. Uh-huh. And, and they'll deal with an issue, and they'll step back, and they'll look at the issue through those three lenses. They will come back to me, my issue, my hot button, what made me angry, but they come back to it with a little more information to inform uh, their conversation. Uh, And the framework sounds so critical. And and when it it was, I was thinking about as you were talking about having, you know, this this very strong framework and, and being, having people have this conversation is what I see, you know, both as a once practicing litigator and and now from the outside as 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 the director of uh, the law office management assistance program is firms where you really see a lack of communication between these decision makers, these partners, these. Uh, and I assume that you know one of the things challenges you must have is to try to break down those silos and get them to come back together and meet and communicate and and know each other. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Often in those kinds of situations, you know, partners want to be heard. They want to feel that they've been heard. Uh, often in those situations, you know, I'll begin by interviewing all the partners so that they feel that they have been heard, that they can have a conversation, and then I can share back the themes of all the conversations in a group meeting, and they realize often how alike they are, and how together they can be on a number of topics. We find the the areas of commonality, the themes where they're together on yeah. a topic, and and bring that back and share that back as a group, and it starts to bring them back. It can start to bring them back together. Uh, that's that's really interesting, and it seems it must be that part of this is to create once that you've walked away and you've had those initial conversations and you've had this group meeting and, and a year later, hopefully the, there's still some type of mechanism within a firm for those partners to come together and maintain that 
common commonality, the communication skills, the ability to talk uh, talk about these issues that that I'm sh- rise all the time because things change, right? Right. Oh, for sure, things change, and the leader that can have you know a framework that works for him or her, and it might be different for find something that resonates for them. But yeah. the leader that can handle these conversations will make their mark. They will get things done and they'll get buy-in and earn the trust. Trust being so fragile. Yeah. Um, and if, you know, trust is the basis of a strong firm. Without trust, you can't have debate. And how many lawyers became lawyers because they were great at the debating <laughs> team. But if you don't feel like you trust each other, you can't be honest and open and have a debate without feeling um, threatened. So with trust, you can have a debate. With the debate, partners feel that they've had been heard, that they've created the next stage for them, and they've had a hand in creating it. And therefore, they can be committed to that future. Without all of that, without trust and conflict and all of those things that are defined quite nicely in a book called Five Dysfunctions of a Team, you, your firm risks slipping into mediocrity. If you aren't committed, you don't, the leaders don't hold you accountable. You don't hold each other accountable. And you just don't achieve what you aspire to achieve as a group. So a leader that can handle these conversations Maybe put a few lenses on a topic and work their partners through difficult stuff um, can make their mark, get things done, be trusted. Those who avoid conflict and really try to be too democratic or too affiliative, you know, uh, put the individuals before the entity or the group, um, risk their firm risk changing directions with the wind, risk eroding their culture, um, making some people happy some of the time, but really uh, eroding the strength of the the entity itself. And it's really about stewardship. Do you want to leave the firm a stronger firm than the one you found? And and that uh, we've, 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 this is such a fascinating topic. We're kind of moving off of what I really thought we would be talking about. But I mean, because it's a bigger picture kind of discussion we're having now. But I think it's it's really uh, fascinating because so that makes me think that you know what I see often is at least in a lot of medium sized firms, it just doesn't seem like there's that. Um, concern about the entity so much anymore. It's uh, and and it's a question of how do you find the uh, one of the issues is how do you find and hold on to and develop those people who are not only interested in their own income, obviously, but mm-hmm. you know how their partners are doing, and more importantly, that they have something that they're going to you know work in for. 10 or 20 years and retire from and leave a, a legacy by having left a, a high quality firm behind them. Exactly. Exactly. And no, it is a big picture issue when you're talking about these things at the from a leadership perspective and that you so astutely frame. Um, it's a big issue. It's not an argument with, with George. <laughs> right. Who's, 
who you're trying to get. No, it's uh, uh, and, and leaders who can appeal to the intellect and the individual drive um, can get things done. Leaders who can engage their partners both intellectually and emotionally. Intellectually is one thing, but unless you can engage them emotionally, they won't change. They won't do anything. Yes, 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 I should put in my time. And yes, 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 <laughs> I should bill my clients. Yes, yes, yes. And and uh, all of that lip service. But unless you can engage them on a couple of different levels, intellect and emotion, pretty hard to get them to move, to change, to change behavior. Right. And, and, and I, and I assume that, you know, just probably from your perspective and what you've seen over the years, it's much, unless you do that, or the, at least the, um, kind of the emotional side for more than if you don't make this change, you know, you're going to be fired or lose money or something. That's probably not the most effective way of no. creating that emotional change. <laughs> no, <laughs> not at all. Yeah, not at all. One of the one of the things that I do on this topic is uh, in a retreat setting or a leadership boot camp type setting is is uh, use a diagnostic that uh, people do ahead of time and it identifies their preferred way, method of dealing with conflict. So are they an avoider? Are they an accommodator? Are they do they compete? Do they win, go to win no matter what? Do they compromise? Do they collaborate? There's lots of different leadership uh, styles for dealing with conflict. And it's really quite fun when people have a discussion about that, understand that, and understand the root of it and what works and what doesn't. It's very enlightening for people. So beyond the difficult conversation, are you an avoider? (laughs) And do you just... You know, do you compromise? Do you just try to make everybody happy? Or do you really try to collaborate with your colleagues and look at the, uh, at a solution for a difficult situation that meets people's needs individually, the needs of the group, and really is the right thing for the firm? And so, quite, it's quite a, I, I, we could talk endlessly about this topic. It's, it's endlessly fascinating for me, and there's been so many books written on it that <laughs> clearly endlessly fascinating for others. Oh, there's some great, great books on it, and, and I love this conversation. But unfortunately, I'm going to have to wrap up this edition of the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast, uh, despite the fact that I could ask you questions for another you know, 30 minutes and actually maybe go back and uh, finish asking you the questions about difficult conversations that I intended to ask you before we got into this fascinating kind of big picture uh, conversation. But a really special thanks to you, Karen, uh, for joining us today. Uh, can you tell our listeners where they can go to find out more about you and your in your firm? Sure. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, our firm is Phoenix Legal and our website is phoenix-legal.com and we work all over North America and uh, we've got lots of resources on our website, articles, etc. So uh, people are invited to take a look and if there's articles there that are useful and helpful for leaders that might be listening, help yourself. And are the different articles that are on the ABA's uh, magazine or do you... Yeah. Uh, 
repurpose those or? Yes. Uh, all of those articles will be there because I write that regular column, Taking the Lead. Uh, there are a number of articles that I've written for other publications as well. Great. Um, as a consultant, writing is, is part of it, and, and uh, so there's lots of different resources there. And, and hopefully the leaders that are listening will find something useful and helpful for them. Excellent. Well, thanks a lot. And remember, listeners, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. Please feel free to continue this discussion on Twitter, where you can find me at Rodney Dow. And I hope you'll join us again on the next on Bill Blower, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. Thank you. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network. Its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast with Attorney Rodney Dowell. Join us again for the next edition right here on the Legal Talk Network. Learn by doing with Practicing Law Institute's award-winning on-demand interactive programs. Developed by experts in learning design, these immersive programs incorporate the latest in research-based instructional design and technology, allowing you to try out concepts, challenge yourself, and grow your skills using real-world scenarios. With programs focusing on professional development, client-facing skills, and law practice management, you can earn CLE while you learn. Launch now at pli.edu slash interactive or download PLI's mobile app.